You're listening to Live with the League, part of the We Love Where You Live podcast series brought to you by the Michigan Municipal League. Uh, so we'll get started uh, here. We do have the Lansing team with us today. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, of course, the, uh, the big news over the weekend was the uh, U.S. Senate passing the stimulus package. Uh, they made some tweaks, so now it goes back to the House and hopefully then to uh, President Biden for a signature. Chris uh, and John and, and the whole team, uh, tell us a little bit about the stimulus package and particularly the components that, that really benefit our members. Uh-oh, is Chris there? Looks like Chris is locked up. So go ahead, John. <laughs> go ahead. You can take, go off mute for me, please, too. Yeah, so I was totally counting on him and to to fill in all the gaps, but um, there we go. Oh, there he is. He's back. <laughs> okay. Wow, yeah. this is gonna be fun. So, Chris, maybe I'll I'll help you out and I'll um I'll get started here uh, talking about uh, this. So, obviously, other than it being my birthday, this is maybe the single biggest piece of news out there right now um, right. for for our members, uh, and and it's. It's huge. Um, actually, we probably can't overstate how significant this is uh, for our members. So for the last decade, right? I mean, plus we've talked about disinvestment in communities and the things that have gone on out there. And, and this is, you know, a, a big win for, for us and for our members. Um, you know, Chris and I and Dan and the rest of the team have spent countless hours over the last month. I, I know I've spent a lot of time on, on this right here, uh, talking about some of the optimistic nature that we've had over the course of the last six or eight months and some of this. And sometimes it was, you know, let's help try and push this through. Our members have been fantastic in, in reaching out. And sometimes it's hard to see how directly uh, you guys impact it, especially when things happen at the federal level. So, hey, I sent the letter out, I made the phone call. Does it just get lost in the abyss? And I can promise you this time it did not get lost. Um, one, because we're, we're on the verge of the house passing this within the next you know, 24 to 48 hours. And that's gonna be followed by the president's signature. And that money is gonna be out the door in a matter of months. Um, you know, and if you're an entitlement community, it's gonna to come to you directly. Uh, and then if you're what not- What does that mean, community, entitlement community? Yeah, so it, well, actually I'm gonna maybe look to Jen a little bit more directly, so. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll try not to uh, do what a good lobbyist does and just spin a random answer out of a question I, I don't know the exact answer to. Uh, but, but Jen, go ahead, help me out there, would you? Sure, no problem. Um, Matt, that deals with HUD um, allocation. So entitlement, HUD money goes directly to those communities. Um, it, it's based on a population formula. Um, and then non-entitlement means those funds flow through the state and are administered by the state. Um, and those non-entitlement communities have to go through the state to, to, to access those funds. Okay. I think the important part here, Matt, to recognize too, is while we're talking entitlement and non-entitlement, uh, they're really just vehicles to get the dollars out the door. They're not actually following the community development block grant uh, program requirements. So I've had some questions from members about, hey, if I'm a a CDBG entitlement community, do I have to spend these dollars according to my CDGB plan? No, this is, these are dollars is again, simply being used as the vehicle to get the dollars out the door um, out of a total $350 billion plan passed uh, by the Senate and the House, 130 billion of that nationally will go to counties, cities, villages, townships, towns, parishes, depending on your state. Uh, and that's so that's roughly split in half. That's 65 billion nationally for municipalities. Uh, I think, uh, John, we were looking at what it's about 4.4 billion for Michigan. Yeah, it's about it's a, it's it's over 10 billion dollars total for the state, uh, and a little over five billion of that will go to the state itself, and the remaining you know four and a half ish is going to come. Uh, directly down in into local units of government, and and this is this this is such a critical point here. And really, what I was I was getting to is, you know, when when we think about the impact and the difference that we made, uh, as we sat and had these initial conversations in our lobbying efforts, uh, they didn't think it could get down to the pure local level as, as we're doing, uh, you know, in this package. And and we really had a big hand in helping at least dictate how that formula could 
could translate down into getting every single community across the state of Michigan and quite frankly, the 19,000 uh, that exist across the country, um, you know, because the federal government isn't accustomed to, to giving money to everybody in that fashion. And so, right. you know, when we think about, about how we impact everything from our largest city to our smallest village, we were able to, to really have a direct hand in that, whether it be us and our advocacy, you know, directly from, from the staff level or, you know, we know Mayor Wild in his role as lead president has done everything to being on the phone with uh, Secretary of Treasury Janet Yellen to, you yeah. know, our members sending in individual letters and making outreach to, to their members of Congress and to, to Senator Peters and Sa Senator Sabinow. And, and all of those things over the last six to eight months have made a tremendous difference in actually getting this done um, at the end of the day. So, so, you know, kudos to kudos to our members for for stepping up and, and into that space and helping us with this. And, and that's, right. that's significant. Yeah. And you mentioned Mayor Wild. He's been everywhere. He's done media interviews. And, uh, you know, like you said, he met with the secretary of treasurer of the Treasury, Janet Yellen, uh, on a Zoom call. So he's been very active on our behalf. Our members, I know, really appreciate that. Uh, so let's get into the specifics of the three hundred and fifty billion for communities. That was kind of our first question, which which fits nicely. So what can or, or can't our communities do with this, this funding? How, how is it broken down? So the dollars, uh, again, are, are usable. One of the big things that we fought for and we've been fighting for uh, since, frankly, since the HEROES Act was done and, and all the various stimulus conversations over the last year, direct flexible aid for all local units of government, regardless of size. That's been our, our primary goal on this. And when you look at what the, what the House and Senate have passed here, it does allow revenue backfill flexibility uh, it allows for uh, increased cost expenses, but you know when we saw with the CARES Act, the, the very strict, uh, very strict strings that the federal government put on the dollars, we see a much different tone here. Again, when we're looking at our communities and the fact that these dollars are going to be spread, John, we're looking at through the end of 2024, these dollars can be spent. Correct. Oh, so there's the, there is a time crunch, but it's not like the end of this year. You got a couple of years right. to plan out this stuff. Well, and I think that's really important to consider here is you don't have to worry about spending your money over the course of the next eight or nine months to get it done by the end of the year. Right. This money is going to come in in two, they call them tranches, in two, two distributions. So it'll be one distribution this year, another next year. Oh, we lost Chris. <laughs> Go ahead, John, yeah. another next year. So, yeah, so so again, <laughs> two, two distributions, as Chris was saying, you know, so one one this year and then one next year. And, and there is, as we know it at the local government level, you know, the, the economic impact that we feel in a recession or in some downtime has a lag to it. And yeah. so this, this is able to not only uh, account for that, uh, but allows you as a local unit of government to help dictate that spending in a, in a very direct and, and purposeful way. You know, much of the conversation that we've had before, you know, is what type of restrictions are, are going to be placed on this. And, and much like we anticipated, there, there will not be uh, spending allowed on, on things such as, you know, your pension obligation and stuff like that. But the Senate, uh, unlike the House, the Senate made a couple of changes. And one of the most significant changes that they made to it was to allow for uh, spending on necessary water, sewer, and broadband uh, infrastructure mm -hmm. improvements. You know, so there's a, a significant component there that's going to be helpful from an infrastructure standpoint that's going to be, you know, allowed uh, based on this. As Chris was talking about the fact that, you know, this has the ability to be spent over multiple years will allow you to deal with, you know, potential reductions in, in property tax values and, and the revenue streams that are associated with that in your communities. Um, so again, when we, when we think about the uniqueness of our communities, which we talk about a lot, there's no question... Um, you know, that at the end of the day, this ends up being a package that that is significant. And, and I know the question, right, Chris, because we've been getting this uh, all weekend, all morning and on here. How much am I going to get? That how, question? how much how much <laughs> am I getting? And, and, and honestly, it's the most important question, right? I mean, yeah. Is there it, a good it, list out there? <laughs> it really is. Um, you know, so here's here's what I think we know. Right. We know uh, without a doubt that, as I mentioned earlier, there's there's going to be a significant total sum of money coming into the state. So 10 billion plus and, and about 4.4, 4.5 of that's going to be, be turned into local dollars. If we continue to break that down further, you know, the way in which the, the, the congressional bill played this out is that money is split 
evenly between the counties and then cities, villages, and townships. So, you know, whittle that number back a little bit further to about $2.2 billion uh, is what we will see split between CVTs in the state of Michigan. And I, and I think what, what we see CVTs, here- CVTs, John, what's that? Yeah, city, villages, and townships. Oh, okay, right? sorry. <laughs> city, villages, townships. That's why I said it first right away. Um, you know, and, and I think as we continue to, to look at this, uh, and Chris and I, again, in our conversations earlier have, you know, all kinds of feelers out, so to speak, in terms of where we can get the most accurate list so we can provide it to our members. But we're talking, you know, on the entitlement side, you're talking millions of dollars uh, per community. So I, I know I had a conversation with the city of Jackson's mayor. And by all accounts, the things that they were looking at was, you know, in the $30 million threshold. But the big question is, well, you know, what if, what if I'm one of these smaller communities? And we are seeing numbers, you know, in that, in that population range of, you know, let's say 5,000 you know, near or, or around, you know, a million dollars or more, give or take. Well, so that's some serious money for small. So it's, small it's absolutely real money, right, when, when we talk about that. And so while as much as I want to rely on, on the National League of Cities and some of the numbers that they put out, I think are very, very close, um, you know, at the same time, it, it's, it's critically important that we can provide to you the most accurate information possible as, as, as we do this and as we go forward. So okay. I don't want to, um, you know, uh, tell somebody that they're getting something that they're not. Uh, right. At the same time, I want to make sure that people understand that this is going to allow you uh, some significant relief uh, and really help deal with some of the disinvestment that we've seen, right. you know, over the course of time here in the state of Michigan. So okay, and and there are a couple of lists out there we've seen, but we like you said, we're not really we don't really know how, how accurate those are, so we we're not really sharing them. Um, uh, what about a uh, couple of questions that came in on this? Um, when should we expect to receive the first payment of funding is, is one of the key questions. That's a good one. Chris, can you, are you live? Chris, are you, yeah. Can you guys hear me? Can you guys hear yeah. me now? Yep, we can hear you. Cool. Yeah, I think that's, you know, they're expecting it to come out very quickly. We're, we're thinking within, within a month, two months. Certainly the non-entitlement money, the money going to our non-entitlement communities that has to go through the state, the, the entitlement money will come directly from the federal government. That'll be delivered directly, just as you would normally get a CDBG allotment from the federal government from HUD. But the non-entitlement communities, that money will go through the state, but the state is required uh, to issue that to all the non-entitlement entities within the state within 60 days, or the state itself will face a financial penalty. So there's uh, you know, a really good a pathway, a really good understanding. We had those conversations directly with NLC about making sure, you know, one, that, that that money was passed through and was passed through quickly uh, so that it was not able to be kind of uh, managed by the state, so to speak, and also to ensure that, um, you know, there, there was not a, uh, I don't want to say retribution, but any sort of penalty from the state or the state changing the rules in the game for your existing money. Uh, so there's sort of a maintenance of effort requirement as well was a lot of the conversation that we had with NLC and working on this legislation. Okay, we do have some more questions on this. We also have some questions on the Open Meetings Act. We'll bring Jen in a, in a bit to talk about that. I did want to mention real quick, the league did put out a statement in support of the sentence vote on Saturday. Uh, Betsy can put a link in the ch chat about that. Um, so next question uh, kind of relates to what we were talking about earlier in the entitlement communities. It says, if you receive CDBG directly, are you considered an entitlement community? Is that correct to, uh, for that assumption? Jen, that's kind of a question for you. Jen shaking her head. Great for podcasting. <laughs> yes, there she is. All right, she says yes. So that was that one. Um, so then another question kind of about, again, how much we're going to get. I'm trying to estimate how much aid my city, City of Portage, will receive from the American Rescue Plan. Any advice, local government funding following CDBG allocation formulas? And then later, we already said we don't really have an accurate list. And then somebody asked, do we know when we're going to get an accurate list of showing how much communities are going to get? Yeah. Matt, I don't think there's going to be any question it's going to be any, it's going to be very soon, right? Okay. I mean, some of the changes that, that the, the Senate made here over the weekend play into that a little bit with the two tranches and, and making sure that the congressional budget offices, you know, can do that appropriately. I think the other thing that we need to mention here too is when we look at that number, and again, uh, you got to think about it in terms of, of your own budget. There are some restrictions on it in the sense that, you know, any, any community that receives funds, so all of our communities that receive funds under this, even if you were, say, to get a million dollars, but your budget was 800,000, again, random numbers, 
the amount of money that you could get out of the American Rescue Plan cannot exceed 75% of your budget um, from the previous fiscal year. So prior to, to the start of COVID. And, and that is to make sure, again, as a way to, to, to sort of, I don't want to say level the playing field, but making sure that people aren't getting more in, in stimulus dollars than what their actual you know budget was in previous um, years is, is is important and part of what they did to secure votes and do things like that. Uh, okay, so, that so that's is that a newer as a bailout? No, that's that's been that's, that's been, been sort of in and out uh, over the course of time um, in terms of how they look at at making sure that even in a package of, of this significance that they try to be as responsible as possible with the dollars that that were being sent out. So again, I, I think as as we think about that, there are obviously in, in anything you know deep nuances and details to any sort of uh, federal program out there. That is one of those that when we see the overall numbers still might change a little bit, no matter how accurate those numbers are at the end of the day, because as we had mentioned, the federal government's not accustomed to sending money to you directly. And so th those estimates uh, are truly based on kind of that per capita distribution on the non-entitlement side, but the, the feds aren't going to know your overall budget. And so as the state works on passing these dollars through and things like that, there's going to be a number of guidance documents and, you know, similar to other, um, you know, parts of the, of the rescue plan, the HEROES Act and stuff that was out there before that are going to have to come out and work with Treasury to get all those things done. Okay. One quick question I had on, you mentioned the pension thing and that wasn't in there. I did hear on NPR this morning that there was a chunk of money in the plan for pensions, but is that maybe not local pensions or we're talking state and federal pensions? Do you know what that's about? I, I, you know, Matt, on that side, I have not seen anything on, on dollars for pensions in the state and local uh, component of it. Okay. I don't want to say that, that there wasn't um, another piece in there that, that has something to do with it, but not something that we were tracking directly um, from our standpoint on the, on the 350 billion for state and local. Okay. John, I have a really important message from Facebook for you. It says, happy birthday, yeah, John. Love Grammy Lee. That's very nice. Very sweet. Yeah, she's my biggest fan. So, hey, Grandma, how are you? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so, good question here from Jennifer. If the money can be used for revenue losses, doesn't that essentially mean you can spend that portion on whatever you want? Yes. <laughs> Jen's shaking her head. Chris is saying yes. <laughs> It's yeah, all I mean, I think, We're trying to figure this stuff out as we go. Go ahead, Chris. I think there's there was some specific language in the House passed version that pegged uh, your budget to a specific date. I think it was January 27th of 2020. You know, so making sure that uh, you're you were comparing sort of your revenue losses with air quotes against where you were on that date. Uh, I know the Senate's version had uh, had a different date involved, but I I think there is an expectation that you'll be comparing comparing your, yourself against a date pre-COVID. Uh, but yes, then after that point, you're, you're able to use it um, to, to backfill that loss. Okay. One of the other things, Matt, that's in here that I think is, is interesting that hasn't been, hasn't been talked about, I don't think yet, um, is you know, the ability to spend it on your downtowns, your programs. You can team up with NGOs uh, or nonprofits in your community. And I know we've had a lot of members talking about programs where they're trying to, to provide aid to their small businesses. There, yeah. this, this act, this, this funding now provides you the ability to do that, to invest in your infrastructure, uh, as John mentioned. You know, so there's lots of opportunities to, to provide a real investment, unprecedented level of investment. Right. I mean, really, it's an, it's an opportunity for innovation and creation for our members. They can use it for maybe small business grants or, or things that actually put money in the pockets of their constituents, which normally isn't the role of a city. We're providing services, but this is a chance. You know, if there's a manager or somebody out there is like, well, I don't know what to do with this money. It's more than I need. They, they could, there's ways to you could spend that to support your local businesses because we all know that our downtowns are hurting, our, our businesses are hurting, and anything we can do to help them to reopen and get back going again would be would be huge for our citizens. I think Matt, when you're looking kind of just some scope, remember, so what we're talking here potentially is you know four plus billion dollars, four point four billion dollars for local governments in Michigan. Um, compare that against the. $266 million, that is the size of statutory revenue sharing. So you can just see the scope, the difference in scope of, of the ability to invest. And we've been talking for in the last 15 years about the, you know, now we're up above $8.6 billion in, in unfunded revenue sharing. You know, this right. is, 
you know, this is a, a true reinvestment in some of that loss. And when you're looking at, you know, as we, as we look through some of the, the entitlement communities, again, because I think we've got a little better sense of, of, what, uh, of what things might look like for those communities versus the non-entitlement, you know, you're looking at some of our smaller, uh, our, our communities that are at the smaller end of, of the entitlement spectrum, um, you know, in, in the 5 million plus range in terms of what they're looking at, uh, potentially, you know, going up to, you know, our largest communities when you're talking uh, from the CDBG side, when you're talking like, like Flint or Grand Rapids or Saginaw, we're up close to $90 million, $80, $90 million at that end. So from the non-entitlement range, like I said, those, those are real, real investments in two payments this year and next year. Do you remember if those be split 50-50, Chris? That's one of the questions, those two payments. Uh, it's our understanding, yes. Okay. All right, we had a lot of questions coming in, a little active chat today. So we'll go through these as quick as I can. Um, any idea, and we'll get to the OMA questions, but let's focus on the stimulus questions first. Any idea if the MIOSHA work at home rule will extend beyond, oh, that's that's an old, that might, well, no, it's just, that's a pandemic question. So that's the question. Any idea if MIOSHA work at home rule will be extended beyond um, April 14th? Anybody know that one? Is that we'll, have to into, we'll have to look into that and okay. get back with folks. All right. Where do the CTVs, cities, villages, and townships, cities, townships, villages, find out if they are considered entitled or non-entitled? Jen? Okay, repeat the question, Matt. Where do uh, cities, villages, and townships find out if they are considered an entitled community or non-entitled community? So I put a um, link in the chat where okay. folks can go see what the parameters are for entitled, entitled communities. And then based off that, um, they should be able to. Um, but most likely, if you don't know, you're probably a non-entitlement community. If you don't um, know, okay. Right. So entitled communities can be getting their CDBG allocations either directly from HUD, if they're large enough, or if they're in an entitlement county and they're getting their CDBG directly from their county, they are entitlement. If they're okay. having to go through um, the MEDC, then uh, to access CDBG funds, then they would be non-entitlement. Okay. Uh, John, this uh, Linda had a question I actually had when you were talking about how if you got, let's say you got uh, $1 million and your total budget was only 800,000. The question is, is that general fund budget you're talking about or the total government-wide budget when you add in all the different funds and things that governments handle? Yeah, right now, I think when, when we look at this, uh, based on the language that, that we've seen, uh, we, we believe that to be more your general fund budget, right? So if, if you think about, you know, breaking out your water and sewer enterprise fund or something like that, uh, that that may not be a component of it. I, I will say, you know, part of that is what we will rely on treasury guidance for to give us the very specific details to make sure we, we do that. Because, you know, Chris and I have been tracking and following the language very, very closely. Um, and one thing that I will say is always a change for me when I when I follow federal policy versus state policy, you know, the ability for the departments to provide some specific guidance on here and sort of dictate the vagueness of, of those laws is, is a lot different than what we see at the state level. So we've tried to get as, as absolute best handle on that as we possibly can. So as you see those types of numbers, you're going to be able to understand and look at those budgets appropriately. Uh, and then as that guidance comes out, which it's going to need to come out quickly. And I, I can tell you, we had some some quick discussions late on Friday um, with those that have been engaged with both the White House uh, and with the Department of Treasury uh, in terms of this guidance. And, and we do anticipate that we will be seeing some of that, uh, I, I would say, much quicker than we've seen in the past. And, and we hope without as many sort of variances and and sort of updates that come every three or four days as, as they seem to have uh, previously so okay. stay tuned to that we'll make sure all of that as it comes out gets shared immediately with our members all right um back at the questions here uh real specific one are the two tranches organized around the federal fiscal year i'm assuming one distribution by june for ferndale and one for next winter fiscal year 2020 are we we are in the budget process are these assumptions accurate so, so and, and, go ahead. I, I was just going to say HUD does run on a, um, you know, July 1st to June 30th fiscal calendar, but maybe John, you can answer specifically if that has anything to do with the payment distribution. Yeah, no, I, I think again, Chris, and, and what you and I have talked about, there, there is a, a time frame in which they have to make the first distribution of funds. 
which is going to be in the next 30 to, to 60 days, we, bo we believe, right? Okay. Um, from the time of signature. So not from this specific moment in time right, right time now. Of so just, just be aware of that. And then obviously, you know, how that shuffles through the state. But we anticipate, again, that that, that will start the one-year clock, right? And so as, as we move forward from there, that first distribution is, is that first tranche. And a year later, uh, we'll be seeing that that second tranche come out. Again, some of that still might end up being, you know, fully dictated by Treasury guidance. But based on what we've seen and, and the conversations we've had, that's how we anticipate that one year uh, time frame to take place. Okay. Uh, once kind of a comment, then a question. It says, I foresee communities having trouble spending this money legally. Will more guidance be forthcoming? I think you already talked about you expect more guidance to come, but... I you know, I, I don't see that the communities are going to have an issue, you know, spending this legally. I think it's it's pretty open what they can and, and the things they can't spend on are fairly clear. Would you agree, Chris? Well, and I think the important part to remember, too, is we have through 2024 to spend these dollars. And as as John mentioned there, as we saw in the Great Recession, there is a lag for local government. You're seeing I mean, I know we've talked to numerous communities right now. They're seeing right now with their March, March boards review appeals from residents. We expect many appeals to be going to the, the tax tribunal. All those impacts and potential impacts on property value, where you're going to see losses in property value from hotels and restaurants and entertainment facilities and office buildings. These dollars will be able to help you soften that. And again, get back into some of those investments that you can make. There, there isn't a community in Michigan that doesn't have uh, uh, deferred maintenance on water and sewer that they need to get to. Now, all sure. of those things that are, are eligible expenses under this. And I think the Congress did a good job of recognizing those needs. And that's a good point. I mean, you may be fairly feel like you're fairly fiscally sound today, but you don't know what it's going to be six months, one year, two years from now, is like you said, all these different requests for tax uh, you know, relief and things like that come through from your businesses. So, um, you know, I'm sure there will be some cities that kind of just set this money aside, anticipating a potential loss down the road. And that would be fine as long as it's done with, you know, by 2024. Uh, do we know what restrictions we place on these, on the use of these dollars, i.e. we what can't these dollars be used for and how will we enforce these restrictions? So we talked about the kind of the cans and can'ts what about the, do you know how these the, will enforce these restrictions, how that'll be monitored? Yeah, so so as a component of, of the legislation, much like we've seen with previous federal funds, there is going to be reporting requirements and things associated with it. You know, so there will be a monitoring aspect to it from, from that standpoint. And, and again, you know, I, I don't think that to be dissimilar than what, what we've seen before. Okay. Do you have a detailed list of expenditures that qualify for the usage of funds? Again, they're working on that. Um, what does it mean to be able to provide aid to small businesses? Does it have to be competitive? That might be one of those specific questions that we're not really sure yet. Anyone? Well, and I think you know when we look at some of our members who have already have already gone out and worked on these programs uh, from out of their own budget, we'll probably be looking uh, for some best practices on how those communities set their programs up. I think Mayor Wild uh, out of Westland uh, just announced a, a program they're doing. I know we have other communities that have, have launched their own small business relief out of their own budgets. So, you know, so that we would be looking for some guidance from from how our members are doing this in their own in their own communities. Okay. Uh, will these funds be subject to a single audit with most federal funds, including taking reporting requirements? Uh, we will need to get some more guidance and talk to our partners uh, at MGFOA and, and at Government Finance Officer Association and, uh, and with Treasury on that as we move forward. Okay, and then we have a comment hoping that um, the cities will be able to spend their money. I won't read that word for word, but someone is critical of, of a city manager that can't spend the money. So we'll, we'll leave that at the local level. Does revenue loss include lower fines and fees? I guess for like if you don't have as many speeding tickets or things like that. Well, I think, you know, when we look at communities that had, you know, lost, saw, you know, their parks programs devastated, they had their, you know, any of their rec programs, you know, canceled parking issues where you lost parking revenue. We believe all those count as, as lost revenues for the programming that the community had relied upon. Okay. All right. Um, you may have addressed this, but what prevents the state from lowering our SSR? Was that, what is that? Is that revenue sharing? State shared state, revenue sharing. State shared revenue share yeah. because of these funds. So there, there is a direct provision in, in the law that says the state can cannot lower investment 
in these places as a result of, of them getting funding, which is something oh. that we have been consistently advocating for because what we didn't want to see was exactly that, right? You know, locals get money. The state says, well, hey, you don't need the same amount you're getting under revenue sharing now because you just got this this pot. So we're going to use that for our own things. <laughs> absolutely not. Uh, that was, you know, sort of one of the core tenets of, of what we advocated for throughout this process is you can't just take one dollar and replace it with another. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't get us out of the the, the situation that we're in. And so absolutely not the dollars that you see coming in from the state today will have to be consistent um you know throughout this uh throughout this this federal stimulus that's being distributed to to our community okay. members good question here from jennifer does this money automatically come to the cities villages and townships or do they have to apply for these funds like they did with the cares act no so in in this case the way in which it is set up uh the the non-entitlement uh, distribution for CVTs will go to the state, right? Because again, the federal government's not used to or, or has never done a, a direct distribution like that. And they're, they're very specific about the time frame, as Chris mentioned earlier, in which the state has to pass that money through dollar for dollar uh, to those communities on a, on a per capita basis. So, um, you know, that's going to be, be really critical in terms of how we get this done. So there will be no application process for that, uh, that we're aware of at this current time. It's not written into the law. I think where we will see some of the, the things that have to take place are more on the reporting side, as we previously mentioned. Okay, I do. We're, we're, we're already over 1230. Uh, so I do want to, we have a lot more questions. I'm going to try to get back to those, but I do want to bring Jen and talk about the Open Meetings Act because there, there were a couple of bills introduced recently. Um, and there's a deadline coming up as far as a no excuse virtual meeting. So Jenna, can you just kind of summarize quickly where we're at? Maybe also address a couple of the questions on that topic that were posted in the chat. Sure. So I think um, everyone's probably aware that the MDHHS, the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, mask and gathering um, order was updated last week. Um, and so it, it soften some of the restrictions when it came to public meetings. And so now you are allowed to have a public meeting in person um, of 25 people or less. Um, as long as you are able to socially distance um, appropriately and mask and follow the other CDC recommendations when it comes to uh, cleaning regimens and things like that. Um, so that does allow some flexibility now for communities who want to be meeting um, in person and can do so um, in following those guidelines that have been set. Um, for everyone else, you're still able to meet virtually for no reason through March 31st, um, but that sunset is quickly uh, approaching here. And so there have been a couple of bills that were introduced recently. Um, the first one was House Bill 4286. Um, that bill really does not help any elected public bodies though. Um, it's only for uh, appointed public bodies who uh, don't receive any kind of uh, compensation unless it's kind of incidentals for cover covering costs of travel, things like that. So that bill does not help um, the majority of our members who um, don't have the space available again to accommodate the number of 25 or less. And we all know, depending on what's on your agenda, um, can kind of lead to how many people show up to a, to a meeting as well. So um, we also have House Bill 4371 that was introduced. Uh, and that bill would open the Open Meetings Act to let um, you have public meetings virtually um, from now um, until uh, there's no sunset on it. Uh, unfortunately, that bill is not a bipartisan supported bill, and we don't anticipate that bill having any type of movement or traction. Uh, and then last week, on Thursday, Senate Bill 207 was introduced by Senator Schmidt. This extends the no reason virtual meeting ability another three months till the end of June. Um, so we really do need folks to be reaching out not only to your senator to get this bill moving, um, but also to your house, to your house um, rep, because okay. we do have kind of a, a wall right now in the house. And so especially those of you who do not have the capability to accommodate uh, 25 people um, and be able to socially distance, 
in letting your representative and your senator know you need this extension for another three months. And really this is being done until vaccines are more widely distributed. Um, this is not seen as something that's an end all be all, but again, extending it to we have more shots in the arm and folks are vaccinated and can start to gather again in larger numbers. Um, so uh, I'll be doing a blog on this later today, uh, but you need to reach out to your senator and your representative um, and, and ask them to support Senate Bill 207. Um, for those of you that follow bills a little more closely, you'll see that it was referred to the Senate Government Operations um, Committee. And we know a lot of things go there to die, um, but a lot of things go there that need to be expedited too. So do not, um, it going to GovOps, uh, we have, I've had a lot of conversations um, on Friday and over the weekend, uh, it was not sent there to die. Uh, but we need to see, you know, they need to hear from their constituents that this is a priority. And again, those of you that want to meet in person, um, 25 and under, who can follow the guidelines of social distancing, you can meet in person. So that's what we've really been working for is that flexibility to accommodate um, all of our members and, you know, in the spot that you're in and what, what you think is best for you to do in your community. Okay. So that's no. where we're at right now. Yeah, so you kind of addressed the one question we got earlier before this uh, discussion started, and that was, you know, we're it's a very small village. We don't even have a, a meeting room big enough to let people have six feet apart. So I, uh, do you have any advice to communities like that? Maybe try to seek out a larger venue or, or what could, what are their options if, if, if they, if it does expire this month and they can't meet with their no excuse in the month of March, to the month of March after March, I mean. Yeah, I mean, if you have um, the the capability to easily seek out a larger venue and not have to pay for it, I mean, that's that's the issue is that we start getting into people have to pay for venues to accommodate larger, and we don't want this um, we don't want this to be a cost to locals to to be able to hold a safe public meeting. Sure. Um, so, really, you know you you should speak, seek the advice um, and input of your legal representation, your municipal attorney. Um, but you know, it, talking about kind of the hybrid and having some folks in person, some folks um, virtually, but you get into that sticky situation of, okay, where do you cut off? Like, do you tell the 26 person, yeah, sorry, you can't come in. Do you have right. to shut the meeting down now? Because yeah. Um, you have people who want in, but you can't occupancy wise let them in. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of questions to be answered. So those who can continue to meet virtually until the end of the month, um, you know, if that's what makes most sense for your community to do so. There are some other options through the end of the year. Um, you can declare a local state of emergency or who can you disaster. your city can who can a local government can. Okay. Um, it's laid out through the act. If if it if you can make the justification that meeting in person um, risks the public or the public body's health and safety, um, then you can declare this emergency. Um, you know there are um, you can do it through the Emergency Management Act. Um, you can do it through local ordinance. Um, so there are some options. And again, you'll have to work with your um, municipal attorney on what makes the most sense. I've heard from some of our members that neither of those options work for them, that they don't have time to go through the ordinance process. And so, again, really getting the um, no reason um, virtual meeting extension um, until vaccines are more um, readily distributed and available is um, really what we're still pushing for to get done. Okay. Um... Yeah, a lot of the a lot of OMA questions. Uh, if our county has extended the state of emergency, oh, Mary, yeah, can we continue virtual beyond March thirty first? That sounds like the answer is yes. Yep, because a county can de declare it or that local unit. Okay. When you get into issues, is like a school board cannot do it. Um, some of those other public bodies that are are not local units of government are not able to. Okay, and, and Jim asked a question, will the ability to declare a local state emergency still exist so we can meet virtually? How long does that part of it go? That goes until the uh, December 31st of this okay. year. So yes, they can. All right, um, can we provide uh, call-in options uh, for residents to attend meetings? Can we still do that? So if we're in person, can you still do an you can still do that, but I would still check with your municipal attorney on just making sure you're covering your basis of um, the high red and making sure that um, 
you're noticing it correctly and you're following the like both the in-person and the virtual requirements of the okay. app. Okay, that kind of speaks to Kim's question as well. Can we do council in-person and also Zoom meetings, not violate FOIA? Again, your advice is to consult your local attorney and to figure that out what's the best way to do that. Um, again, another question about hybrid meetings. I think we covered that. Uh, can we still provide common options? That's covered. I think that's, I miss any OMA specific questions, Betsy? For a couple okay. early on, I think we got them. Yeah, the only other question I'm seeing um, is just to clarify if the 25 number includes uh, the body members, staff, et cetera. Yeah, it's just bodies, right? It's people. Yes, doesn't it's, matter where they're from. Doesn't matter who they are. It's 25. Yep. I am. Um, here is a link I'm putting in the chat. I put the wrong one at first, but here's a link specifically to uh, the blog I did last week that kind of lays out some of the requirements. Um, and it also talks about the other capacity changes that were made in, in the new act, but it links to the act or to the updated gatherings and face mask order. Um, and it has some resources and it has a link to the leagues, Open Meetings Act fact sheet we updated last week as well. Um, and then people can you know, reach out directly, contact me if going forward, they have some more questions. Okay, uh, your audio is a little choppy, Jen. Hopefully mine doesn't get choppy too. Some of those go hand in hand. Uh, Harrison, I wanted want to bring you in. Uh, I know you're busy doing uh, different things for us. Uh, anything you want to update the members on before we uh, try to get back to some of the federal questions or maybe you saw some federal questions that you could jump in on? Not much federal for me though, but um, we have been continuing conversations around shoreline infrastructure and the governor's proposed $40 million to go towards those efforts having great conversations with our shoreline communities to understand what projects they're working on currently and how far they can see those dollars going. And so right now we're in the phase of having conversations with legislative leadership about their intentions on what they want to see and just highlighting what's important for us and making sure that we're proactively aligned with what we'd like to see out of this funding opportunity. You know, we've talked about emergency management a little bit on this call, but one of the really exciting things, again, about having such a solid appropriation for this is that it gives our members a different source of funding to utilize outside of emergency response or revolving loan funds. So that's going to be really exciting for our folks, um, helpful. So we really want to stay at the table as we continue conversations on what that final boilerplate looks like when it's brought forward. Another exciting thing in the environmental world, we're going to see part 115 come back again, looking at an introduction of an- What does that package. mean? What does that yeah. mean, part 115? <laughs> so part 115 is Michigan's uh, solid waste policy, uh, essentially oh. how we deal with trash, how we could be dealing with recycling and also comp compostables and other kinds of different you know, sustainability options we have for materials. So this policy hasn't been addressed in now over 25 years. And so oh, wow. we've been working on this as broad constituencies and coalition for about six years to bring forward meaningful reforms that will allow for local communities to have a little bit more autonomy in how to develop their materials management plan, letting local units decide, as well as co counties as well. Um, regional collaboration and also accessing funds have been put aside in the new Michigan fund uh, for materials management. So we're hoping we'll see a lot more intention around recycling in our state and how we think long-term about sustainability and managing these materials. Um, and also making sure that different communities across the state, whether you are more rural or in a more urban area, that you have a materials management plan that works for you. And also making sure that there's funding available as well to support communities as they promote education and awareness on recycling and materials management in their communities. So there's a lot of good stuff in that bill. Um, it's over 200 pages long, all eight of them together. I should say the package. Um, so we're excited to see what that new legislation looks like uh, in the coming days. We know it's a high priority for Chairman Howell, the chair of House Tech Resources. He's a really strong partner in this and a formal municipal attorney as well and part of our municipal caucus. So he's been looking out for local governments to have a lot of engagement. Uh, in this dialogue. So we're really hoping to bring that across the finish line this term. All right. One quick question for you, Harrisana, on that is, are inland lakes included in the shoreline funding? Inland lakes? Yes, yes, I believe so. So we're looking at shoreline infrastructure along coastline, lakes, and rivers. Um, I'd have to look a little bit specifically to see what kind of projects we're, um, we're thinking about there. And that's some of the specification we're looking at, too, is that we need to identify specific individual projects that are being considered in this boilerplate or look closely to make sure that, you know, the definition of waterways of our state is truly inclusive uh, okay. to everything that we're seeing right now. So that's a really great question. 
Okay. One thing I forgot to ask Jen about that I want to get back to, uh, also kind of a big story this week was the state announcing how much communities that had opted into the recreational marijuana, uh, how much revenue they were going to be getting. Jen, can you talk real quick about that? Because we are getting tight on time. Yep. So hopefully my audio is better. Yes, it's good. Okay. Great. Yeah. So last week, um, Treasury began distributing, um, it was a little over 45 million that was collected from taxes and fees um, from the Michigan Regulation and Taxation um, Marijuana Act. And so communities who are communities who had opted in and have um, retail or micro um, businesses, which really there's only a couple of micro businesses that were licensed before September 30th, 2020, because these had to be licensed um, before the end of September of last year, um, are seeing about $28,000 per license. Um, now, a couple of things with that. One, the 20 million that's supposed to come out of that um, amount for uh, research and development um, did not get distributed this year. So uh, next year, that money will come off the top of, of this fund beforehand. And so, um, and as more people come online, uh, you may start to slice that pie a little differently because it's based proportionally on one, the number of licensees in your community, as well as in your county. Um, so I'm going to put a link here to a blog I did um, that will show um, give some more information. It shows who received what, and then it also has um, some links to Treasury and email address if you have questions. Because I know a lot of communities right now are trying to figure out um, should we opt in on this? Um, what are we going to do next? And so this is just some information. Okay. Thank you, Jen. So um, we're way over how much time we do. Uh, I just wanted to cover a couple quick questions. Some of the good ones I'm trying to go through. There's about 25 questions we didn't get to on the stimulus. Uh, John, a couple questions for you. Uh, will transit systems receive a separate pot of money? And is there a separate allocation for roads, bridges, separate from the 4.4 billion to Michigan? Yeah, so, so I'm happy to sit here and answer as many questions as, as our members have for as long as it takes, Matt. Uh, I mean, there's no question, uh, and I'll answer that question, but I mean, th this is is both historic in nature um, in terms of, of what it's trying to address based on its size and scope, but it's going to be historic in terms of its impact too. And, and so as much as, as we need to provide to the members, we will do that. Um, and so that that's that's my personal promise. Um, in terms of, of, of transportation and things like that, uh, we know that there's 30 billion in this uh, for transportation, um, you know, transit systems, I should say. Uh, and then right now there is no direct, direct allocation for roads and bridges, right? As I mentioned, the, the state and local funding can be used on water, sewer, broadband. Uh, what we do know is that the next issue that that the president and, and Congress would like to tackle is a significant infrastructure package. And so I know we will be in, in the virtual DC the next couple of days with the National League of Cities Congressional Cities Conference. And we're gonna be talking both about, you know, sort of the, the continued uh, questions that we've seen here and some of the things that need to be wrapped up on the stimulus proposal, but also continuing to talk about investment and in infrastructure because that has not gone away, as I, I mentioned earlier. And we're gonna to continue to advocate for those core things that our communities need. Okay. Got a person that did some math. Uh, 4.6 billion works out to $460 per person in Michigan. Can we multiply our population to figure out the federal grant amount? It doesn't we, sound like it works that way, but. Yeah, we, we yeah. cannot do that uh, simply because of the way that the, the entitlement piece plays into this. And so I, I think what, what we will see again at the end of the day, and I know, because I, I just looked at something else that came across, uh, Chris and I are now having a, a meeting late this afternoon with the National League of Cities, uh, and that should provide us some additional uh, clarification on, on all the questions that, that we continue to have on this, and all of that information will be passed to you as we get right, it. Right, right. I should mention that this is the National League of Cities Congressional Cities Conference Week. It officially kicked off, I believe, today. Uh, you guys are attending. It's all virtual, so uh, so you'd be connect we have a good contingent of members. I think over 20 members attending. Uh, a lot of these questions will probably get answered over the next few days there, correct? 
Absolutely. There, yeah. There's going to be a number of, a number of, of, of really exciting things that are going to happen in the next, next couple of days with, yeah. with that. And, and, and I'm sure you guys will be posting updates on inside 208. So people can get the latest information on that. Once we get a list that's reliable, I know we'll post that there. We'll put it on our homepage or social media channel. So we'll do everything we can to get that out to you. Um, question, uh, will this funding go into effect after it goes to the president or does it become available regardless? I, I'm assuming the president's got to sign it before any checks can start being sent out. He, he does. Yeah, I, I think the, sorry, Chris, I keep jumping in on you here because I'm, I'm not- It's your I'm birthday, sure John, your, do what you want to I'm do. I'm not sure of your connection. Uh, well, it doesn't <laughs> just have to be my birthday for me to do that, right? There's people <laughs> That's true. on this call that can attest to that. Um, but no, I, there, there's no question, right, that, that the president's going to have to sign this in, in order for it to take effect. Uh, and, and we, again, it, it's a little bit harder to anticipate when the president will actually sign it. But the, the early indication that we're getting is that the House will vote on this as soon as, as Tuesday. And then obviously they have the process in which to make sure everything is, is in order, clerks do what they need to do uh, at the federal level, and then get that version over to, to the president uh, for his signature. But it wouldn't surprise me if it happens, you know, within the week, uh, without question. And then from that standpoint, you'll start to, to deal with Treasury and, and the direct allocation from the entitlement side, and then the timelines associated with getting that, you know, into the state coffers, and then from the state out to, to our non-entitlement communities. Okay. Yeah, Matt, on that, just the, the key thing to remember is all the urgency behind this was the March 14th date when unemployment benefits were set to expire. So... You know, I think we're, we're seeing that, uh, you know, they, they want to have this done, signed and over all the, all the various departments uh, before then so they can keep that program going. Okay. Uh, got an interesting question here. Um, after the state allocates these funds for temporary funding of state revenues, how will these municipalities fund shortfall in the process, especially if new programs are created in the future? Well, it's important. I mean, it, and this is one of the conversations we'll be having at the state level too, is these are one-time dollars. Uh, so, you know, it, you know it, it needs to be part of the, part of the calculus uh, at the local level as you're budgeting how to, how to handle these dollars uh, and maximize them in the, in the most effective way possible, but also being mindful that, that you, are, you are dealing with something that is a, a one-time uh, one funding source. Again, the hope is as we continue to move through vac vaccines this year and get the economy ramped back up, uh, you know, that, that budgets will you know, kind of, uh, this will provide the, the bridge uh, between any gap uh, from 2020 and 2021 uh, in your funding for your budget. Okay. Um, someone says, if I could demonstrate, for example, a $5 million revenue loss, is that all that is required? Or do I also have to follow additional rules on how I spend that $5 million? I think that's all still to be determined as U.S. Treasury produces their guidance and, uh, and what's required you know, in terms of HUD, HUD filing or Michigan Department of Treasury filings. We'll find all that out in the next, you know, hopefully, uh, a week or two here. Okay. Will the new census be used? I'm guessing they're they're asking if the census stats are going to be used in calculating stuff. No, we 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 do not anticipate them doing it because those numbers have not been finalized as of yet, okay. uh, and we fully anticipate that that these dollars being out the door before that's done without question. Okay, this is an interesting question. How do you think these stimulus payments will impact the governor's request for funding for income tax cities in her budget proposal? So you said the state can't take away revenue sharing because, it, but this is something that's kind of in the future. So how do you think that might impact it? We're having those conversations right now, trying to determine, uh, you know, what is the, you know, what is the right path forward? The governor's obviously looking at, you know, some year-end money that she had allocated to local governments. One of those pots was 70 million for our 24 income tax communities. So, you know, taking a look at that and we'll be talking with our income tax cities here uh, within the week. Okay. Yeah, I, I think the other thing I would mention here, Matt, too, is, you know, the, the stimulus is, is without question helpful, but there are still some long-term things that need to be done from a state perspective that we can't lose sight of. And I know Chris and I have talked about this already this morning, that you know, typically we, we run into the problem where there is no money. Now there's money. Um, and so how do we think about you know, messaging and, and talking with our legislators and, and, and with the administration to really get to a point where we're making long-term sustainable investments uh, in, in our communities? 
And there's without a doubt in my mind, and I think the way in which, which we've talked about this previously is that there's going to be opportunity for that. Right. And I think that's what our focus will be as, as we move forward is how do we continue to put our communities on, on more stable footing, both from a financial standpoint and a structural standpoint going forward. Okay. Um, uh, regarding the kind of how to spend the money, I think would sidewalks be considered transit? So if you're getting transit money, can you include sidewalks in there and fix sidewalks? Well, I, there, there's a, a very simple question, but a lot to that answer. And again, I think it, it all depends in terms of, you know, is it part of a broader project? Are there a lot of things? I think by itself, sidewalks, no. Um, but I think as we're looking at, at potential dollars that could be used for overall uh, infrastructure improvements, that there is some some potential to that. But again, there's, uh, there's uh, a lot of nuances to that that are, are difficult uh, to make that, that, that a really accurate answer. But I would say just on the surface, sidewalks, no. Okay. Um, a question for Jen on the marijuana issue. Can you make sure that all licenses were accounted for? Or how can you make sure in the marijuana dis dis disbursement? <laughs> well, I can't say I say that word. Disbursement. If you have 12 licenses, but we're paid for fewer. So again, it's only going to be retail and micro businesses that were licensed as of September 30th, 2020. So if you have growers or processors, um, those license types do not count towards um, that payment. Um, but within the blog that I posted, there is an email um, specifically for uh, this issue in Treasury. And so I, the best bet would be able would be to contact or contact um, Treasury through that um, okay. email address. Um, uh, okay, good. Um... One last question here. Uh, I think it's the last question. Betsy, let me know. It would be very helpful if the state could calculate the losses and revenues to local governments for Act 51, uh, constitutional revenue sharing, PA 86, CCTV, et cetera, with changing formulas at the state level comparing year to prior COVID-19 does not necessarily reflect the loss caused by COVID-19. So they're giving some suggestions on maybe how the, to figure out the disbursement. I don't know if it's a, there's not a question there. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 again, I think that's you know there are there are a lot of important things here. I, I think what I will restate in maybe a different way is that that this has Chris's and and mine and everybody else on our team's full attention right now because there are a lot of questions, right? And and this isn't unique to Michigan. This is going on across the country with any other state leagues that are having this conversation with their members or whether that's with their township association or Michigan Association of Counties. And we will do everything we can to make sure that, that we provide uh, the most consistent and, and up-to-date information because, like as I mentioned, this is historic, um, both in size and scope and, and in terms of, of the problem it's trying to, to solve. And we will make sure that we walk uh, every step of the way with our members, providing the best information we can. Okay. Looks just like we've done that, I think, you know, looking back over the course of the last year and everything that we've done going through the CARES Act funding or the various governor's executive orders, you'll see, you'll see the league being very active uh, with our other partners on webinars and, and as much information as we get it. And as we get folks who can help provide answers, we'll make sure that's available to members. Uh, we had some great success. I know some of the webinars we put on had upwards of a thousand people on them. So we, you can expect us to be doing that again. And that really speaks to one of the questions I was going to answer that I missed, which is when will our city township managers and treasurers be briefed on all of this? I don't know if there's a federal state briefing plan, but we certainly will be doing webinars. We have our capital conference. I would be remiss and not talking about that. That's in two weeks. Uh, we'll be covering that. I'm sure during your legislative updates, you guys would give updates on that on, on how the do's and don'ts of, of this money. Wouldn't you agree, Chris? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then does the federal government have a plan on how to fund this new expenditures in the future? I'm not, I saw that question. I wasn't sure what that was. Do you guys, anybody know what takes stab on that one? I, I'm guessing they're saying if we, if we expend the money now, let's say we buy, you know, hire 10 new officers and that's, that's one-time money. I, I don't know if that's what they're thinking. If there'd be money for to support that in the future, I, I don't think there would be. Certainly, we encourage, as members have questions, reach out to John, myself, Jen, Harrisana, yep. uh, anyone on the team. We're happy to try and, and take a stab. You know, uh, all of our emails and phone numbers, if you don't have them, are on the league's website. Um, please make sure you subscribe, as, as Matt mentioned, to Inside 208 and get our legislative blogs so that you get the most up-to-date information as we're able to share it. 
Okay. All right, and that should wrap it up. We went way over on time, but it would, like John said, it's it's well worth it. We got a lot of questions from members, a lot of questions out there. Some couldn't answer, some will be answering in the future. Um, our next Alive with the League is scheduled for March 22nd, and we do have our capital conference uh, coming up on a week from, actually starts week from tomorrow. Um, so we'd like to hear you then uh, if you haven't registered. We have a great lineup of speakers and, and sessions planned. So I hope to see everybody at, at live with the, the Capital Conference. Till then, uh, thank you, everyone. And I'm Matt Bach with the Michigan Municipal League. Thank you, John, Harrisana, Jen, and Chris, and Betsy, and Kristen also helping us. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Happy birthday, John. Happy birthday, John. Thank you. See ya. This has been a production of the Michigan Municipal League. For more information on our programs and services, please visit www.mml.org and join us for the next episode of We Love Where You Live.